Morning, South Park Church. So good to see you today in person. And those of you watching online, thanks for spending part of your holiday with us here worshiping God. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson, and again, just glad to have you with us. When I first got out of school learning to be a pastor, I was assigned to my first church in a rural community in Caldwell County up in the foothills of North Carolina. And one uh, day during the week, I'd gone into the office to do some work, and we had a group of women, uh, retired women, who gathered together, and they, like, did quilts together. They quilted for people in the community and just a fun group of people to hang out with, so I'd stop by to see what they're doing. And for some reason that day, I opened up that I'd always wanted to ride motorcycles in my life, but never got to do that. And one of those ladies, whose name was Estelle, uh, said some good advice to me. She's like, you're young, you're not married, and you don't have children. If you ever want to ride a motorcycle, this is the time for you to do that. You should go and get a motorcycle. I'm like, Estelle, thank you so much. I, think, I appreciate that advice. And so there's a guy in my church that had a Harley Davidson motorcycle, and I asked him if he would teach me how to ride motorcycles. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So we got to this big parking lot, empty parking lot, and train, you know, a couple times during the week until I felt comfortable enough to where I thought I was ready to buy my own motorcycle. So that day came, and I went up to a Harley Davidson dealer up in the mountains of North Carolina, and I looked at a bunch of bikes. I had one of the salesmen there with me and saw one that I really liked. He's like, okay, we need to go out in the parking lot and let you drive it, right? Like, he's a good salesman, right? Get your hands on it, sit on it, right? That's a guaranteed sale. I'm like, I'm a little nervous, you know? I haven't really ridden motorcycles very long. I've gotten some lessons. He's like, look, you came here to get a motorcycle. You need to get on it and ride it. Let's see how it feels. I'm like, okay, okay. So we got out in the parking lot, got the motorcycle out there. I sat down, you know, about 1,200 horses sitting on that thing. You know, this is awesome, but I'm also nervous, right? So I'm trying to think in my mind all the lessons that I learned in the parking lot and how to ride the motorcycle, get down, you know, turn on the ignition and, uh, you know, rev up the, the throttle there. And I just, I guess I got nervous or scared or whatever, but like I grabbed that throttle and I hit it full on, right? And so I just took off. And so in the parking lot, they had like, uh, just like they had these trees with curbs around them, some landscaping. And I went right for one of those curbs. I hit the curb, got in the air, like used the curb as a, as a ramp unintentionally, flew through these two trees wide open and I hit the ground. Right? And I kept going. And so, uh, yeah, I didn't stop. So evil can evil lives to tell the tale and keeps moving, right? So, uh, and so uh, have you ever heard of um, uh, target fixation, right? It's this idea that where you look is where you go, right? So if you've ever ridden a snowboard or you've ever snow skied or ridden a skateboard or ridden a bicycle or driven a car, where you look is where you go. It's true for motorcycles as well. <laughs> so I hit the ground full throttle, and the first thing that I saw was this brick wall right in front of me that was part of the bank that shared the strip mall with the Harley dealership, and I was headed right for it. And somewhere deep inside of me, I thought this, this might be the end of my life. This might be the end of my life, full throttle, headed for that brick wall, and I knew fear at that moment like I had never known fear before. So we're talking about a series of anxiety. And last week we talked about worry, how worry brings us anxiety into our lives. I think you'll agree with me that uh, fear also is something that really brings anxiety into our lives. 
And so I'd just like to ask you, when you walked in the doors downstairs or came into this sanctuary this morning, to those of you watching online, when you turned on your television or booted up your, your iPad or your computer, what fears did you bring into this place? Or what fear were you running from to, to seek some solace, to seek some hope and some comfort here today? What fear has you in its grip? What fear haunts you and, and keeps you up or, or causes you to have anxiety in your life? Because we all understand what fear is and, and what it does to us. I know that some of us are scared of the coronavirus. Some of us are scared of losing our jobs or some of us have lost our jobs and we're scared of finding a new one and, and how we're gonna support our families. Right? Some of us are scared that our loved ones, our significant others might walk out on us or break up with us or dump us and we're afraid of losing them. Some of us are, are scared about our health in ways other than COVID-related. And, and there are all kinds of fears. Like we're scared of fires out west and we're scared of hurricanes. We're scared of losing our, our political freedoms and, and we're, we're scared of, of terrorism and so many things in our lives right now. We're scared for our children. We're scared for our grandchildren. We're, we know what it's like to have fear that comes into our lives and gives us great anxiety. So what fear did you bring with you today? What fear are you running from? What fear is giving you stress and anxiety in your life? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching. I'm glad you're worshiping because we're gonna find good news today from Jesus. He also knows what anxiety is like and what it means to live in this world. And he's gonna give us hope and he's going to give us direction. and He will give us encouragement. And so I'm glad you're here and just invite you to open your hearts to what Jesus is going to say to us today in his word. We're going to be uh, early in Jesus' ministry. It's in the first century in Israel. And he is doing a lot of ministry in the northern part of Israel in a beautiful place called the Sea of Galilee. It's like a huge lake. It's about four and a half miles across. And it's surrounded by these green rolling hills. And Jesus and his disciples are there. And He's teaching people about God and he's healing people and he's feeding people and, 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 and his reputation is just spreading and, and all these hundreds and thousands of people are trying to just get to be with Jesus. But something's happened in his life. He just got word that his cousin, John the Baptist, right, his, his blood cousin, his cousin John the Baptist, who prepared the way for him to come into the world and be the Messiah. We read all this at Christmas time. His cousin John has been executed. He's been killed by the local leader, Herod, and not in an easy way. He was beheaded, right? And his head was put on a silver platter, right? And so this word's come to Jesus, and it's caused him a lot of personal anxiety. And Jesus wants to go away. He goes away to pray by himself, right? We're gonna talk later in the series about how prayer helps us deal with our anxiety. And Jesus models that, right? The son of God, God himself, goes away to pray by himself, to process his anxiety about the death of his cousin, and maybe there's fear lurking that, wow, they're really moving quickly. They've taken out John. Are they coming for me right now? Right? So Jesus wants this time to deal with his own personal anxiety, but the crowds won't let him have it. They find out where he is, and they come to him, and they flock to him. And, and, and the Bible says that Jesus saw them in their needs, and he had compassion. And so he put his own needs by the wayside, and he spent time. And that's where the, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people with just a handful of fish and bread has happened, right? So he's gotten news about his cousin. He's fed all these people with this miraculous uh, miracle that he's done, 5,000 men plus women and children. And now we pick up the story of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Let's see what happens. Matthew 14, verse 22. 
Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, right? This is about four and a half miles across the Sea of Galilee. While he dismissed the crowd, right? He fed the people with the bread and the fish, right? 5,000 men plus women and children. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus needs his alone time with God to deal with his own anxiety and stress. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land. We're going to find out it's about halfway across the lake, maybe two or three miles, uh, and it's taken the disciples about nine hours to get there. There's this big storm that's there, right? So it was buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it, right? So to go out two, three miles has taken nine hours. This is, this is not a small storm. This is a big storm that the disciples are dealing with. So that's the situation, right? Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, don't miss that, right? Jesus is walking on water. What? Like, you know, we've probably heard this before, but like the, the first time you hear this, like Jesus is walking on water, right? Like I'm impressed when someone can do a moonwalk, you know, but like Jesus is walking on water, right? This is not just some ordinary person, right? This guy is walking on water in the midst of this huge storm. Let's see what happens. When the disciples saw him, Right? Now, you've got to remember, they've had Jesus in the boat when the big storms come up and Jesus has calmed the storm. They've seen some, some amazing things with Jesus, but they haven't seen this. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, right, never seen Jesus walk on water before, they were terrified, right, afraid, anxiety, right? And who could blame them? Like, if it's you and me, right, you see somebody moonwalking on the water towards you in a hurricane, like, you're going to freak out too, right? I would. And they said, it's a ghost, right? They, and then they cried out in fear. Right? They probably thought it was an evil spirit who was coming to haunt them. Right? So the disciples are in full-blown fear-anxiety mode. Right? But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Let's stick here for just a second. That's a small sentence, a couple of sentences, but it's powerful if we unpack that. Right? He says, Take courage. What does it mean to have courage? Courage means that when we feel afraid... We're still not overwhelmed so we can do what we're supposed to do, right? right? To be courageous doesn't mean that we don't feel fear. We just don't let fear have the last say. We don't let fear dominate our lives, right? We still do what we're called to do, right? You can feel afraid, but courage is acting as you should and not being overwhelmed anyway, right? Take courage. Wait, let's go back. It is I, right? It's me. It's Jesus. Right? It's your friend. It's your rabbi. It's your teacher. Right? I'm not a ghost. I'm not some evil spirit who's coming to haunt you. It is I. Right? So there's the personal aspect. This is, this is your buddy. It's Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. Right? I got this. Right? But some scholars think it's even a nod back to the Old Testament when God talked to a man named Moses. And he said, Moses, I want you to go and free our people from Israel out of slavery. Right? And he talked to Moses in a burning bush. And Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And say, say that I sent you. Right? What's your name? God says, I am, right? God says, I am is my name, right? Think about that. I am means I exist. Nothing exists outside of me. There's only one creature in the whole universe that can say, I exist on my own. I am, right? It's a, it's a name. It's a title of God, right? And so maybe this is a nod back. It's not just the Jesus that you know. This is God Almighty. The same God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush is the same one that's walking on this water. This is more than just a man. Right? It is I. It is your friend. It's the Lord. Right? 
don't be afraid. Remember last week we read, don't worry, and we said, easier said than done, Jesus? Same thing applies here today. Don't be afraid. Okay, maybe it's you. Maybe you're God, right? You say, have courage. You're walking on water in a hurricane. How can we not be afraid, right? So don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Easier said than done, but Jesus still says, don't be afraid. And I think those words are not just meant for the disciples 2,000 years ago. I think they're meant for you and for me and for those of you who are watching with us. Now let's keep going. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, right? If it's you, Jesus, right? Lord is a, is a title of respect. But I think here it goes beyond that, right? This is more than just the guy who deserves respect. This is like the son of God, right? Lord, if it's you, right? Tell me to come to you on the water. If it's you, Jesus, you're the Lord, right? Let me come out there with you, right? He's, he's on the high of adrenaline. He's like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing faith going on here. Let me come to you on the water. And then Jesus says this. Come, he said. Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Think about that. Got down out of the boat. The wind's blowing. The waves are going on. Took him nine hours to get halfway across. This is a major storm. Peter's a fisherman, expert fisherman. He knows what it's like to live on this lake, this sea. It is dangerous. He got out of the boat. The only relative safe place that he could be, he got out of the boat. He walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. Kind of like Peter's on Christmas morning, you come down the stairs, right? You're so excited, like you're just in the zone and you're moving and, and you're not even sure what you're doing or what you're opening, right? You're just, you're in the moment, right? So he's like, Jesus is walking the water. I want to go out to him. So like he, he's in that moment, man, of this huge, like you're off on the high of your spiritual high. And then this happens. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me, right? So so he's walking out, everything's good. It's Christmas morning, right? Very excited. But then he starts looking around. He's like, wow, the wind's blowing, the waves are moving. I am an expert fisherman. I know what this leads to, death, right? So he began to sink. But he didn't lose sight enough to say, Lord, save me. Help me, help me, right? You're still standing. I'm not, help me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Not very flattering to Peter but better than no faith, right? You have no faith, right? He has some faith. He has a little faith. You have little faith, right? You got to take the bones that Jesus throws us, right? You have little faith, right? Why did you doubt? Maybe because there's a hurricane. Maybe because the wind and waves are blowing around, right? Because no one walks on water. Why would I be afraid? I would be afraid. I'd probably be sinking. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down probably Jesus calming the wind as he'd done before in other stories. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You're here. You walked here on the water. You had Peter walking on the water and now the sea is calm. A couple things going on in this story that we don't want to miss. One of them is this story is about the identity of Jesus. Who's the guy who can walk on water? Who's the guy who can calm the storm? This is not just a human being. This is the Son of God. This is God himself. This is about the identity of who Jesus is. Right? This part of the gospel, we see that Jesus is mighty in word, and he's mighty in action, in deed. Right? He can heal people. He can turn a few small fish and loaves to feed thousands of people. 
He controls the storm. He controls nature. This guy is the real deal. This Jesus is more than just a human being. This is the Lord that we're dealing with. Then the other thing that's happening in this passage, it's it's a story about the faith of Peter. And and we've got to understand that Peter, he's one of the 12 disciples, uh, but he's going to become like the head disciple. And one day soon, Jesus is going to say to Peter, when I build the church on the earth, I'm going to make you the rock that the church is built on. I'm going to build the church of Jesus on you. That's a huge responsibility. That's a huge blessing. That's a, that's a big plan for Peter, right? And so in this verse, these verses, we see that Jesus is getting Peter ready, right? Jesus is mentoring Peter. Jesus is doing some leadership development. Jesus needs Peter's faith to grow, right? And sometimes in the scriptures, the disciples are described as having no faith, right? Here, Peter has a little faith. Jesus needs Peter to have a lot of faith because Jesus has big plans for Peter, And he needs Peter to trust him. And he doesn't need fear and anxiety holding Peter back because those can be enemies, those can be weapons of the enemy, of the devil, right? And so Jesus is getting Peter ready. He's trying to help him grow in his faith because he has big things in store for Peter. Because when we are scared and we're not trusting in God, we're trying to do it all on our own. And Jesus said, here I am, right? Trust and believe in me. I will help you do what you were called to do, right? And I think also that this scripture is saying the same thing to us. When we face anxiety, when we face fear, God's saying, don't let fear dominate you. You you can still feel scared, but be courageous. Trust me that I'm with you, right? And do what I've called you to do. Don't let fear dominate your life. Trust in me, have faith in me, right? And so for a lot of us, for me, that means that I'm continually having to have my faith stretched and trust God more say, God, if I go it on my own, I'm just overwhelmed and I'm dominated. I need to trust that you're with me. I need to have faith in you, right? Lord, help me to know that whatever I'm scared of, you're here to help me deal with it. So I think there's a lesson here that for us, as we want to deal with anxiety, as we want to deal with fear, part of that means that we trust God and don't try to do it by ourselves and seek God's direction and God's wisdom. Right? And the more that we trust, the more that we have faith, right? our fears and our anxiety will go down and our joy and our peace will go up, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Right? So it's an issue of faith and trust for all of us. But we've got to be careful because sometimes people can bend this out of shape and really hurt other people's feelings uh, and even damage their faith. I had someone reach out to me this week that said they appreciated last week when we talked about anxiety that we made the distinction between regular general anxiety that everybody feels and then anxiety disorders, right? Something that can kind of just overwhelm and be on top of us. Let's, let's look at that again today. So anxiety, right, is the feeling of fear, dread, or uneasiness that all of us fear as part of being human, right? We all get anxious. We all stress things out, you know, get stressed out in our lives. But then there are anxiety disorders, right? When the anxiety is intense, excessive, and does not go away, right? It worsens over time. The symptoms interfere with daily activities such as job performance, schoolwork, relationships, everything, right? And when we suffer from anxiety disorder, we can't do it on our own. We need professional help. We need medical help. We need counseling. And there's nothing to be ashamed about, right, for that. And this person that reached out to me said, I have a disorder 
right? I've been diagnosed, I'm getting professional help. But there's been people in my lives who said to me, well, you don't need all that help, you just need more faith, right? You're just not a faithful follower of Jesus. And she said, but I am a faithful follower of Jesus. I trust Jesus, I love Jesus, right? But my anxiety, it's just, it's, it's a disorder. It's something I have to deal with. And so it's not an issue of lack of faith. And so I think we need to be careful about how we assign people who are dealing with stress and anxiety as saying maybe they're not being faithful, right? And, and, and along those lines, I just I want to take a moment to kind of do a sidebar, maybe a personal sidebar here, and, and look at something in our culture right now. You, you see in our culture a lot here in America to have faith over fear, right? Have faith over fear. I'm afraid that the way that that's being used in our culture is not correct and not biblical. Uh, because to me, like in this case, if someone goes to the doctor and to say that they don't have faith, it's not true, right? If someone gets medicine or someone gets a vaccine, you're saying to them, you don't have faith. You're not trusting in God. You're being unfaithful. You're giving into fear. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all, right? God has gifted men and women in our world and nation with the ability to be doctors. And they're smart and they're gifted in their whole role in life. God has created them to help other people. God has given people the ability to understand how to, how to make vaccines and medicines that will help and heal people. And that's God's use to, to help heal people in the world. And so when we take advantage of that, it doesn't mean that we don't have faith. In fact, we have faith that God's created doctors and God has created medicine, right? If we have the faith or fear kind of dichotomy, right? Well, we probably shouldn't wear seatbelts either, right? If you have faith, then God's going to make sure when you get in the car, you're not going to get in a wreck and get killed, right? So are we going to stop wearing seatbelts? I'm not, right? You know, you know what God, you know what else God did? He created other people with the freedom to choose. And sometimes people choose to drink alcohol and drive cars. Sometimes people text while they're driving cars and they're going to smash into somebody. And if it's me, I want to have a seatbelt on, right? So be careful how we say that you don't have faith and, and are ruled by fear, right, when, when we have circumstances like this. So I think also fear can be a gift from God, right? We want our children who are young to understand if they touch a hot stove, it's going to burn them. They should respect that. They should be a little scared of that, right? We don't want fear to dominate us, right? We don't want fear to dominate us. So just something to think about when we think about faith versus fear in our but back to Peter. A couple of things I'd like to highlight today. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to stay above the storm even though he was in the midst of it. Right? So when we're in our lives and we're going through difficult circumstances, it doesn't mean that the storm's going to go away, but it means that it's not going to overwhelm us. Right? When we look at Jesus, he reminds us that we're not by ourselves. We're in the midst of the storm, but the storm's not pulling us down. Right? That's, a, that's a very critical thing that we need to kind of keep in mind, okay? So we're in the midst of the storm, but with Jesus, we don't have to let the storm overwhelm us, which is what the next point really says here. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to get overwhelmed, right? He started looking at the wind. He started looking at the waves, and he forgot to look at Jesus, right? And when we take our eyes off Jesus, we try to do it on our own, and we begin to sink. How am I going to get a job when I've been laid off Right? Am I going to get sick? I've got sick. How am I going to deal with this sickness? Right? This relationship doesn't look to be going the best place that it needs to be going. Right? We start taking our eyes off Jesus, looking at the storms in our lives, and it can suck us down. 
right? And we can become overwhelmed. Again, we're going to feel fear in our lives. The question is, are we going to let the fear overwhelm and dominate us? Or are we going to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you can help me through this, right? When he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to get overwhelmed. I wonder if you're feeling overwhelmed in your life right now, are you trying to do it all on your own? Have we kind of taken our eyes off Jesus? That doesn't mean that we're going to totally close our eyes and pretend that our problems don't exist anymore. They're still there. We still have to deal with them, right? We still have to look at them. But what do we focus on most, right? And then finally, Peter did not sink so far that Jesus could not reach him. Peter did not sink so far that Jesus could not reach him. Neither have you. Neither have you. Whatever fear you're battling, whatever anxiety you're battling, and you feel like you're drowning underwater in all that, you did not sink so far that Jesus cannot reach you. Neither did you. That is powerful, folks. Never forget, you're not too far for Jesus to be able to reach and to help you. So back to my Harley-Davidson story, I'd just flown through the air between two trees, landed on the pavement, heading right for a brick wall, thinking I was going to die. Some way, somehow, maybe, hopefully, I think it was the Holy Spirit helped me to put some brakes on, and I laid the motorcycle down, which was not fun, but it was better than dying by hitting a brick wall. All right, so thank you, God, I'm alive, you know, touching my arms and legs, can I move everything, did I break anything? Right, now I have new fear set in. Oh, man, I just scratched up this new Harley-Davidson motorcycle in front of the salesman and all the other Harley guys who were watching me take the test drive. And are they going to come and kill me now? Maybe it would have been more glorious to go out by hitting the brick wall than being beat up by a bunch of guys who worked at the Harley store, right? Because the salesman was running right for me. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to die now. One way or the other, I am dead. So he gets to me. And he picks me up. You okay? You know, you're doing okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. Picks the bike up. It's not really damaged very much, not as much as I thought it was. And he says to me, get back on the bike. I'm like, are you kidding me? Did you just see what I did to this bike? He's like, get back on the bike. Because if you don't, you will never ride another motorcycle as long as you live. All right, get back on the horse. Get back on the 1,200 horses. All right, get back on the bike. Now, either he was a very gracious, forgiving, understanding man or he was a genius salesperson who wanted to sell that motorcycle to me. Or maybe it was a combination of both. But looking back on that, I see him kind of like Jesus reaching down to Peter. Right? I was in the midst of all this fear and anxiety. And he said, it's okay. I'm with you. You got to get back on and you can get through it. So I got back on the motorcycle. I rode it around the parking lot. I didn't kill myself, didn't kill anybody else. And I bought the motorcycle. And there's me. Merry Christmas to me way back in the day. Right. Yeah, y'all can clap for that. That was fun. Uh, I rode that bike for years. I loved that bike. I loved that bike. Uh, I sold it when my first child was born. Um, but I uh, love that bike. Uh, and that's the story. So what's the point today? What's the takeaway? What's the big idea? I think it's this. I said it earlier today. Where you look is where you go. Do you look to Jesus and say, God, I need you to help me? Or do we look at the wind? Do we look at the waves? What do we focus on? Where you look is where you go. You're going to hit the brick wall. You're going to sink in the waves. Or are we going to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do this without you. I need some help. I need a hand up, right? Where you look is where you go. And so this is what I invite you to do this week, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus. 
You keep your eyes on Jesus. It doesn't mean that you close your eyes and ignore your problems because they're still there and we have to deal with them, but keep your eyes on Jesus, right? Jesus has to be the focal point, right? That means praying to Jesus, reading the Bible, worshiping together. It means serving. It means getting in groups with other Christians and talking about what it means to face our problems and anxiety. We have small groups in our church that do that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And again, we don't ignore our problems. We don't hide our head in the sand. We have to deal with them. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, right, Jesus is like, you're not in this alone, right? And Jesus may or may not fix your problem, right? But either way, Jesus is with you and you're not alone and you're gonna, you're gonna be able to get to the point where it doesn't overwhelm you because God is with you and will give you the strength that you need to face whatever it is that you're facing. So I wanna practice that with you right now. I want you to think about that, that fear that I asked you about earlier. What fear right now is dominating your life? What are you terrified of? What, what keeps you up at night? What, what, is your, what is your wind? What are your waves? What is your concrete brick wall? Whatever it is, what is, what is that fear? And I want you to think about that. I want you to look at this picture right here. I love this picture. Uh, you, you can just Google Jesus water and it'll come up a million times on the internet if you want to get this. I want us to spend like a couple minutes right now just looking at that picture. And I want you to pray to God. And I want you to say, look, God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I am. I am sinking in the water, Lord, and I need some help. I, I can't go this by myself. I'm so overwhelmed. Right, Jesus, help me. Help me know that I'm not alone. Help me know that I can trust you. Help me know that I have not sunk too far for you to reach down and to get me. Right? So I invite you to take that fear right now. Look at that picture of Jesus right now. And let's be in prayer and let's cry out to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So one way that we keep our eyes on Jesus is we celebrate the gift of Holy Communion. 
and we look and remember that Jesus died on a cross for you and for me and that he came back to life so that you and I could stop living broken lives and start living full lives. That our guilt and shame that we carry around with us can be forgiven and we can have those things replaced with joy and peace and life that is full now and forever in the kingdom of God. And so today we look to Jesus and we look to that cross and we're so grateful that that cross is empty and so is the tomb. As we remember the last time that Jesus was with his disciples before he was crucified and he took a loaf of bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. As often as you do this, remember me. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many so that your sins may be forgiven. As often as you do this, remember me. To receive this gift of Holy Communion, you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a baptized Christian. This is God's free gift for all of us. And when we partake of this, what it simply means is that we are saying, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. Jesus, I want to know that you're real. I want to know that you have plans for me. I want to know that I am not alone. I want to know, God, that I can give you my grief and my anxiety and my fear and that you will be there for me. And that is what we say. And so if you're here in the sanctuary invites you to get out your wafer, your bread. If you're watching on home, uh, watching at home online, I invite you to get whatever it is that you have to eat. And let's pray together. Gracious and ever-loving God, thank you for this bread, this, this juice, whatever it is that we're eating or drinking, God, we ask that you would make it for us symbolically, the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us. God, forgive us of our wrongdoing, the things that we do to hurt you and other people. And we ask now, God, that you would hear our silent confessions to you. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your peace and your, your joy. We thank you for life to the full now and forever in the kingdom of heaven. We thank you, God, when we face fear that it does not have to dominate us because you are with us and you will pull us up out of it. In the holy name of Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen. And so if you'll take whatever it is that you have to eat today and know that this symbolically is the body of Jesus broken for you. And if you'll take what you have to drink and know that this symbolically is the blood of Jesus shed for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and we do not stand alone. Now I invite you though to stand up and sing with joy in your heart for all that God has done for us as we sing our closing song.